This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. The galaxies we hear, the colors Hello and welcome to Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building communities, and cultivating connections and authentic spaces for listening, learning, and leaning into our experiences. This is season two, episode eight, and I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Borkowski. Today we're going to talk with Dr. Marie Karens, and I wanted to give you some context about my relationship with Marie before we get to the interview. We will, of course, share her impressive bio in a little mm-hmm. while, and I'll provide some personal context and stories first. So to begin, Carrie, I think it's kind of funny that Marie taught my very first research methods course in my master's program. (laughs) (laughs) And 15 years later, you picked up right where she left off. Um, The irony is that I've connected with faculty uh, who taught the subject matter that was the hardest for me. Since working with Marie as colleagues, um, research methods aside, I really have always admired her leadership style. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about why and, and what it is that I admire. And I think it's that she has that blend of a thoughtful listener and also an active decision maker. So when you talk to Marie, she's one of those people that you feel like she hears you, right? She's busy. She wears a lot of hats, but she is present and all in when you are, are in discussion with her. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, then she processes information and then she moves forward. So what I love is that she doesn't get hung up in the contemplation for too long. And she also does not act impulsively. And I think that like that balance is something that I really uh, admire and appreciate about the way that she leads. And it's not easy either. Yeah, I have to say it's not easy, right? You say you say it with some ease, but that balance can be really hard, I think, for leaders. So that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I was thinking back to a time last year we were in a meeting together, and there was a hard decision on the table. I don't even remember the issue specifically, but I remember thinking, I don't know what I would do if I were in her shoes. <laughs> you know, because you sort of put yourself in that position, and I was like, Oh, I'm glad I don't have to make that call. Yeah. Um, And what she said was, I just don't think I can make this decision right now. I'm going to step back and think about it a little more and I'll get back to you. And that's what she did. She got back to us, she made a decision and we moved forward. And that probably seems pretty straightforward, but that move that let me pause because I'm not quite there yet really resonated with me because as you know, Carrie, I'm a processor. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I wasn't sure how someone could be both an effective leader and a processor Mm. and also move forward. Like I've seen leaders who get stuck and they just spin and spin and spin and and talk and talk and talk and nothing seems to to progress. Mm -hmm. And then also leaders who just impulsively sort of charge forward without taking the time to listen. 
And I want to be somewhere in between. I try as a faculty member to be somewhere in between those things, like with my students and with my colleagues. And I just wasn't sure where that fit as a leadership style. And I see that um, in her. So because when I'm, you know, I mean, you know, Carrie, when we talk, and Carrie always has amazing ideas. So she'll throw out all these ideas. And I always just have to sit back and think about things before responding, or I'll respond in kind of an unconvincing way. <laughs> and then we laugh and Carrie's like, why don't you take some time and think about that? And then get back to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's sort of the thing that, that tied it all together for me. You'll hear this in a few minutes, but when Marie talks about belonging, she says that it allows us to feel comfortable enough to be ourselves. Mm. And in that way, Marie, the, the way that Marie leads, she gives me the confidence that I can be myself in my new leadership role, um, which very fortunately for me is on her team. So sort yeah. of the bottom line was <clears throat> go with what works for you. It's okay to sit back and take a minute to process things, to discuss, and then make a decision to move forward. And I know that because I've seen her do that, you know, with our our faculty very successfully. So yeah, and she's I mean, she's going to talk about it in the upcoming interview. I think this I think what you're describing in a lot of ways, if I could, you know, be a little geeky for a second, it's what we we read about in the courses at Hopkins and the leadership stuff is this authentic leader, right? This authentic leadership, like really being able to bring yourself and also figure out ways to collaborate. And I think this is particularly important as a skill right now, or in the spring into now, because the pandemic, I've talked to a lot of leaders and the pandemic has created these unique challenges where what you're just describing, Brianne, right? It's like, we need we needed a decision yesterday, but we also need time to process this whole new set of variables that we've never even seen before. So I think the the idea that she could pause and say, I can't make this decision speaks to her, but I think it also speaks, or and it also speaks to the community of people that you have been able to create with her, like you being you all, right? That group has created as a, in, in, in the sense that we can tie it into belonging, right? Because yeah, you can't really, sure. you, you know, you just like you and I have to say, like, maybe we should pause for a minute. You, you can't really have that kind of dialogue unless you've established some trust and connection previously, right? So like, because I, I would imagine that when Marie said that people were like, okay, yep. And just sort of knew that that's, we trusted her to do that. Right. You weren't, there was no real pushback on, but what are you going to do right, about yeah. this? Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a little preview taste of what's up to come or what's coming up in her talk. So great. Um, so we will be right back with our discussion with Dr. Marie Karen. This is tell me this. All right, welcome back to Tell Me This. Today, Carrie and I are happy to welcome Dr. Marie Karens, and this is a true collision of my world with um, two of my best faculty members and mentors together in one place, so it's kind of, kind of awesome, actually. Dr. Karens is a fellow Hopkins EDD grad, um, and she has been at Loyola University, Maryland for, uh, since 2000, since the year 2000. She is currently our department chair, so she chairs the Department of Speech, Language, Hearing Sciences, and she is also the Associate Vice President for Graduate Studies in the Office of Academic Affairs. So Marie wears a lot of hats, and she wears them all very well. 
And we are really looking forward to chatting and kind of learning about her perceptions of belonging and teaching and learning all together. So Marie, first, um, this is not our first meeting, we'll just be honest with you. <laughs> Marie and I were on Zoom <laughs> together a couple of hours ago, but it's nice to talk about some different things. So how are you? How are your family? How are you holding up? Thanks, Brianne and Carrie. Um, first of all, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> um, I am I am wearing a lot of hats right now, but it is um, not forever, so that's a good thing. So it's kind of a temporary <laughs> temporary uh, position that I'm in. But I'd say all things considered, um, I feel like I'm holding up pretty well. The family's holding up pretty well. Um, I have um, three grown children, so I'm grateful that they are grown children and I'm not dealing with the homeschooling. Um, I feel fortunate that I can, you know, by and large, do the majority of my work from, from home remotely, so, so that's good. And I have to tell you, I'm getting, getting a little bit into this uh, remote working environment, <laughs> what that means for the future, but I'm, I'm enjoying that. That's, that's yeah. great. I'll say if you're missing some of the homeschooling, Marie, I'd be happy to send a one or two of my own children your way if you... Uh, or, if or three you, of them. Or three of them if you so desire. No, I say to my husband on a weekly basis, I said, I'm so glad the kids are growing. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is a bit crazy. So, so yes, yeah, so I'm just, as I said before we hit record, I'm so happy to finally get to chat with you, Marie, because Brianne has such lovely things to say about you. Um, for for you and for others who may be new to the podcast, you know, one of the themes of this season and last season is really looking into and, and, and thinking about belonging. And so I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, and I'm particularly interested in your answer to this question because because of those multiple hats, I think this will be an interesting because you you work with faculty, staff, and students. So it'll be a pretty unique perspective, at least with respect to the interviews we've done. So just when you hear that word belonging, Marie, like, what do you think of? What's your con concept of belonging? How would you define it? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting to kind of think about the job and all my roles. So it's, it's faculty, it's staff, it's also, you know, administrators mm. and students. And that kind of adds another interesting dynamic or complexity to all of this. But when I think of belonging, you know, I, I think what comes to mind is really this, this sense of fitting in. So when one fits in, there's a certain sense of security with that. You know, you, there's a safety, there's a safety in that environment with that. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're feeling safe, um, it, it really allows us to be ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe in a way that we wouldn't be if, if we didn't feel like we belong. So belonging kind of in, in just its simplest form means that, that sense of um, fitting in. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can apply that across all groups. You know, certainly in the classroom, we um, try to set up an environment for students to fit in. And I think you know they, they're fitting in when they're when they're taking risks mm -hmm. you know when you can tell that they're um, responding and they're putting themselves out there a little bit mm -hmm. and you know we we as educators um, can facilitate that by encouraging that by you know not judging by not not penalizing them for um, what they're doing when they're sharing and to, to set up an environment where um, you know there's 
you know, they're not being graded for everything. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's low stakes, you know, you're simply asking them to share, you know, one of my, one of my favorite tasks um, to have students do is to um, share in a discussion board and without grading them, without a rubric, without anything, just, just to share. And they, it can be a simple share where they're just sharing to me, or it can be a, a share where they're, they're adding on to their, their fellow students. Mm. Um, I, I think when we talk about belonging kind of at the, at the larger level, the macro level, the university level, it just has such relevance right now when we look at the national conversation around um, racism and we look at our faculty of color, our black and brown faculty of color, and um, what's their sense of belonging? You know, this, this is a really big issue for not just us um, at our university setting, but across the country. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, sadly, if we look at our data, kind of national data, um, it suggests that, you know, people different from us aren't always belonging. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't feel that sense of belonging. They don't feel that sense of fitting in. They don't feel that sense of security. Um, they're not taking risks. You know, they, they just um, are, are uncomfortable. And that, that makes me sad. Mm -hmm. um, that, that tells me there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. It tells me we have to take a step back we have to reflect and we have to ask ourselves, why is that so? You know, we know um, just from conversations, you know, when we're looking at um, not just, are you politely interacting with one of your colleagues, but you know, maybe, maybe you are, you know, maybe, maybe they're on a very surfacey level able to talk and interact with you. But, you know, what's going on beneath that? Um, and that just takes further uh, exploration of, of policies and ideas, mm -hmm. you know, that may, that may be causing discomfort with them. So a sense of belonging means, means different things. It means different things in the classroom. It means different things for our faculty. I wouldn't actually, it doesn't mean different things. The context changes across um, these different people. It really means the same thing at the, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Um, does a person fit in? Do they feel safe? Can they take risks? Can they be their true self? You know, can yeah. they be their best self? Is yeah. that what we want? We want that honesty with them. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you mentioned, which I really love this idea of sharing in a discussion board with sort of no rubric, right? Just free, sort of free, free discussion. Have you found in your experience, you know, leading staff and administrators and others that there are sort of best practices or good strategies that you have found effective in cultivating belonging in those different contexts outside of, of sort of the classroom? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, I, I think so. It's, it's um, you know, being able to, in the classroom in particular, it's being able to relate to those students beyond the content. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know our content. You know, that's, that's why we go on and we get our degrees and we do our research. So we're real comfortable in that world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we're just not as comfortable in the world of sharing, about mm -hmm. asking them what's going on in their world, about trying to find something that they can relate to. You know, we talk about at Loyola, you know, this isn't unique to Loyola, but it's, it's kind of a jesuit -y type of saying about meeting, we meet students where they are. Mm -hmm. 
So what does that mean to meet students where they are? You know, when I teach a class on, um, you know, communication disorders for children and adolescents, you know, I can talk about um, autism spectrum disorders. I can talk about Down syndrome. But, you know, if I bring in pop culture and, and I remember talking to them about um, the Netflix show, Atypical, you know, that features this, mm -hmm. this adolescent Sam Gardner, the high school kid with, on the autism spectrum, they just, you know, they came alive. And I was like, <laughs> who knew? Who knew that they like, would love to talk about Sam Gardner for the next 30 minutes. But, you know, it just, it really set up this nice forum for them to kind of talk about him, him as an actor, how he portrayed autism spectrum disorders, and then how those characteristics, in fact, lined up with somebody on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, really just trying to contextualize learning mm -hmm. so it matters to them, you know, bringing in what's real to them, you know, bringing in their experiences. If you, if you think of like this constructionist theory of learning, mm -hmm. you know, that's an approach that, you know, um, you, you're building knowledge, you're building knowledge based on learner experience. So anytime you can bring in that learner experience, I think you're winning. Yeah. You know, I think you're winning and it hooks. It's, it's a hook for them to kind of glom onto to make those associations. So I think um, in our department, there's, there's, we have a lot of skilled teachers that are really pretty good at that. And I think Brianne is one of them. <laughs> you know, a lot of us are, are fortunate in that we've had some uh, clinical experience. So anytime you, we can bring in kind of our experience and into the classroom, it makes it that much more real and less theoretical for, mm -hmm. for the students. Yeah. So. yeah, I agree. And I think that when we do that, that's when I start to learn from the students because um, I sort of take a break from, from the content that I know and I can and sort of control like what I give and, and what they, how they answer their questions. And when I open it up to their experiences, um, you know, I lose a little bit of that control, but then I find that the students engage, you know, kind of deeply. And there's, there's some learning in that for me. And so I was wondering, Marie, you talked about the need to reflect and to step back and to ask why um, in the context of um, educators of color, maybe not feeling like they belonged, but even beyond that context with our students or with, with one another as faculty members, what does this learner and teacher identity look like to you? Like, how do those things come together, being both a teacher and a learner? Yeah, I think they're, they're certainly um, reciprocal and they're bi-directional. I, I think those are two, two words that I would come up with. Um, because as I talked about, we do make meaning through experience and that experience is, all, is dynamic. It's, it's always changing. So we as individuals are always changing. So, you know, if, if I view myself just as a teacher, that's going to influence how I interact in my classroom. But if I can view myself as a, a teacher learner, that, that's a very different experience. And I think that goes back to what you just said, Brianne. It just, it, if, if we are open to learning ourselves from our students, mm -hmm. you know, that's that bi-directionality. And I think when we um, talk about things like racism and equity and inclusion, 
part of that meaning making is being open to others experiences. So it's great that I can share my clinical experiences. It's great that I can talk about Netflix and relate to the students that way. (laughs) But if I'm not able to really listen deeply Mm -hmm. about their experiences, then I'm shortchanging the educational experience, you know, for, for the students, but also for myself, you know, that's what keeps me motivated. You know, that's what's kept me motivated for 20 years or gosh, if I had to, you know, just listen to myself and (laughs) it would just, it would be so awful. You know, it would just be, I'd be like running out of the classroom. I'm not, I should be clear too. I'm not owing it at the thought of listening to you, Marie. I was thinking of myself. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've all had those experiences where class has fallen a little bit flat Mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, if I am bored, these students have to be like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yes, oh, for I, sure. If you're boring yourself, right? That's yeah, gotta be bad. Other side. <laughs> and it's usually when you're talking to them, just talking, yep. talking, teaching, you know, um, it's, it's, it's what um, bell hooks, right, Brian? Yeah. It's that banking mode of yeah. um, method of, of education where they're just yeah. you're dumping. It's a dump yeah. and they're receiving. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So Marie, let's think back for a second. <laughs> to before March, um, if we can remember back before March. So before your job really changed to sort of one of preparation and, and making plans for what the fall would be, can you take us, kind of give us a, a day in the life? Like what were your priorities and, and what did your days look like before COVID? So we're just trying to get a sense of kind of life before, okay. before we talk about challenges during COVID. <laughs> Sure. So it seems so long ago, doesn't it? I know. It does. (laughs) It It feels very long ago. It really wasn't that long ago. But I, you know, before COVID, I was, um, you know, I I picked up these multiple hats, Carrie, back in January, January of 20. So I I think it's fair to say before COVID that I was um, an administrator, an administrator academic affairs. And I was, all, I was not department chair, but I was um, undergraduate program director and I was faculty. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was teaching in those regards. So I was, you know, enjoying, enjoying teaching, enjoying my classes, enjoying interacting with the students. I was also involved in, um, at Loyola with our freshman program, which mm-hmm. we've entitled the Messina program, which I absolutely love and just really speaks to me as a teacher and learner because it's a really multi-dimensional way of of teaching students so you're teaching content and the content's not that rigorous it was like introduction to human communication so that's fun and you can do a lot with it in class but each week you have what is referred to as a fourth hour so you can do different enrichment type activities and that's where you just you know, really get to know the students and really kind of listen deeply to their thoughts and their desires. You're also their advisor. So you're kind of getting to know them kind of on on that aspect. You're getting to know their gifts and their talents and you can really um, try on a lot of different things. So, you know, I I did that and I would get a lot of energy from that. It's extra work. You work with what we call uh, our evergreens, which are undergraduate students. They're they're great undergraduate students full of lots of energy and the 
students connect to these upperclassmen, then you have an administrator. So, you know, that that's a lot of fun, very energizing. And then, of course, I was working in academic affairs. And because I oversaw graduate studies, you know, I'm really working with um, faculty, faculty who teach in the graduate program, and I'm really trying to represent their views. I'm trying to really look at policy across all grad programs, so that's fair and consistent, um, you know, and then there's some of the unglamorous parts where, you know, you're um, involved in student issues and appeals mm -hmm. and those types of things, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me in a lot of ways because just like a faculty person of, of color might not feel like they're belonging, oftentimes as a graduate student or graduate faculty or graduate administrator, there's this lack of sense of belonging. And mm -hmm. it's because there, the whole structure of at least our university revolves around undergraduate education. You know, when we talk about admissions, when we talk about marketing, when we even talk about campus and campus events, we're talking about our evergreen campus and we're not talking about our satellite campuses. So it's, I feel like I'm always fighting this uphill battle, like remember the grads, remember the grads. <laughs> you know, like, you know, we can't, I can't, not everyone can get to the Evergreen campus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, what is campus security like off campus? You have it on the Evergreen campus. What about, you know, the graduate campuses? So it's doing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, before the pandemic, I was involved in <laughs> what I think was more exciting work at the um, at the graduate level where it was more visioning and strategic mm -hmm. plan. Yeah. So that, um, for example, we were talking about the Department of Speech Language Hearing Sciences in which Brianne and I are both members of, about that potentially moving or not even potentially about moving over to the School of Education yeah. and kind of what that meant and, you know, what that would look like. And to me, that was kind of the fun and exciting work because you're visioning and you're strategic, you're, you're planning strategically and you're, and you're asking you know, very broadly questions about belonging, like, you know, how would this work? And, you know, what does this mean to belong in a school of education? And how can we expand it so everyone is feeling in, included in that? So, you know, we would look, we were looking at um, incorporating other health science programs into mm -hmm. that coming up with a new name for the school. So, you know, thinking about belonging at the, at the graduate level, but. Yeah. You had a lot going on before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. You had a whole lot going on. Lots of really cool, really cool stuff. And so what I would love to, to hear about is, um, you know, one of the things we were trying to do with season two, Marie, is, um, as you know, there's a there's a lot of just not so great news, right? Circulating. It's really easy to find bad news now with the pandemic. And so, one thing we wanted to do with this podcast is really lift up and and shine a spotlight on not just the challenges, but sort of the successes, right? Some of the stories that are coming out of education. And so, I I'm, I can see you sort of your body language is telling me you know what's coming. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really curious, you know, thinking about you were doing some teaching, working with first year students, doing some amazing visioning with the grad school, and then this pandemic hit in March. And so I was hoping that you could share with us and the listeners, maybe a challenge, you know, that you immediately, and here we go with that word pivot, right? You had to pivot. 
And not only the challenge, but what I'm particularly interested in sort of is, you know, how are you either, how you overcame it or how you're working to overcome it now and sort of looking at the fall, you guys started classes Monday. Is that right? Yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Monday. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Monday. Yesterday. Woo. My days run together. Um, and thinking about the fall, sort of like, you know, lessons learned kind of question, Marie, if you could share a challenge, that'd be great. Sure. Sure. I, I think the most obvious challenge, this isn't really very original at all, Carrie, was, um, okay. <laughs> you know, just moving to online, you yeah. know, mo- moving to online was um, our significant and immediate challenge. I mean, faculty don't um, come to Loyola to teach online. Students don't enroll in Loyola to to take courses online. So, you know, that was a significant challenge. Hmm. So while we have an office of digital teaching and learning, it really was was fairly small. Mm -hmm. So the office of digital teaching and learning actually kind of falls under me that's one of my direct reports (laughs) oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah oh my gosh (laughs) you know and and the funny thing was I helped develop that office years ago and so when I came back to the job I said oh give me the office of digital teaching you know that's the one I want because they're so awesome you know and And there's not much going on really it's small (laughs) enough and Yeah, they're they're doing their online classes, yeah. from programs to online. <laughs> oh, Man, aye, aye. <laughs> so that was a significant challenge. Um, you know, working with the director of what we call ODTL, the Office mm-hmm. of Digital Teaching and Learning. Mm-hmm. But you know, we were able to make some really great strides. You know, everyone worked extremely hard. We, we set up different trainings. We pushed it out to the faculty and made that available for faculty to kind of come aboard and do these face-to-face trainings, develop new online trainings. And was it all perfect? No, it really wasn't. But um, We also collected some data from the very short spring semester Mm -hmm. on um, student feedback and faculty feedback. So we all know how critical using evaluative tools are to improve. So we were able to um, look at that data and kind of see some of the issues, which were really kind of course organization, different people going in all different directions and not even using our learning management system. Well, that was going to be my, that was going to be my question just for folks. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm slowly being indoctrinated into Loyola, which is fine. I love the university, but I've met with you and work with Brianne. So this is great. Can you give us a sense of, you know, when I think about universities, I, I just kind of assume that faculty are using online tools and I, I think that's a bad assumption. So can you give a sense of sort of like when you say this was the most significant challenge, I mean, aside from the sheer workload, I totally get that for like a small office. What was, what was hard for faculty? Was it that they hadn't used online? It was just the volume? Like what could you just, just to give an example? Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Cause people really wouldn't have that context. Yeah. So there's three schools at Loyola. There's the College of Arts and Sciences, which is the largest. Mm. So that's like your political science yep. and your history and your humanities and all of, and all of that. And then we have the um, School of Business and a School of Education. So um, I think in a small liberal arts institution, what um, faculty pride themselves in are kind of these these small intimate 
uh, gatherings and discussions with with students. Mm -hmm. So um, we we literally ran the gamut from faculty who had you know were not on the learning management system. Mm -hmm. They were old grade book and walk into the classroom and discuss the great books and that's where they were. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. and then, you know, we have our school of education, which has a whole ed tech program mm -hmm. and, you know, they're very, very skilled and progressive and they're teaching teachers mm -hmm. how to, how to implement and use um, tech tools in the sure. classroom. So that's what I mean by the okay. whole gamut. And then you have everything in between. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, so it was it was really getting those um, uh, those more humanities traditional Loyola College of Arts and Sciences people to some level of competence where you know they would um, you know put put um, put their information on on Moodle or you know they were learning kind of what synchronous versus asynchronous even meant and mm -hmm. how um, at a school like Loyola, really the synchronous sessions are kind of the ones that took off, but how to do that and how mm -hmm. to use breakout rooms and, you know, all of those things and that it's just not teaching face-to-face. -face. So that, that was really interesting. What kind of some of the new challenges are that we're working to now. So fast forward now. Yeah. Months. So we've evolved. <laughs> Everyone's on Moodle. You know, they're using their little templates, got all their information up there. But now we're having more robust conversations around um, equity and inclusion mm -hmm. issues around online teaching, which mm -hmm. is Fabulous. So what does that mean? It can mean anything from accessibility um, for the student who needs captioning, which is kind of um, pretty basic, to how do we protect a student's privacy? How do we protect a student's privacy, you know, when we're saying, turn your camera on, and we have a reticent student because they don't want to share their background environment. So that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of one piece of it. Or you have students who are turning their camera on and they have a, I don't know, they have a Confederate flag in the background or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, what, what do you do with that? You know, yeah. because that doesn't set up a very inclusive environment for people um, who are participating in that class. So it kind of adds a whole other layer of complexity into, you know, the, the situation. So now we're kind of talking about that, um, implementing just basic universal design for learning and how, you know, why use a template? Why is it so important to organize your course and to have my course more or less look the same as Brianne's course is gonna look like, you know, your course? You know, because it's easier for our students, you know, it, it's easier for our students to navigate. So, um, you know, we continue just to work through these issues. And um, I, I think they're, they're great conversations, they're important conversations, and they're, they're conversations that tie into kind of this, this other area of challenge, which is so critical and important now, and that's um, looking at the national conversation around racism and police mm -hmm. brutality and equity and inclusion. You know, the, these words I keep, keep bringing up. Yeah. So they intersect. So they're now, now they're intersecting yeah. and um, 
you know, we're, we're kind of talking about that. Yeah, that video, the point that you made about the, I mean, I think the student willingness or unwillingness to show the video, and we've actually had faculty who feel sort of uneasy about showing their home setting as well. I think the, for me, the interesting case that you brought up is around when you, when students are willingly opening up that video and you do see evidence of, of, you know, political positions, you know, identities, everything. And it's, it really very quickly on fast forward brings all of those things into the classroom that normally I hadn't thought about it, but when you're in a face-to-face setting, there's something weirdly equalizing about a classroom, at least initially, right, until you start to dig in. So I feel like it really, it, the faculty members are often forced to really be on their toes quickly around those issues of equity and inclusion. So I wondered if, I don't, if you guys are doing training or having conversations around that, uh, Marie. We are having train, uh, well, we hope to have training and yeah. conversations around that. You know, part of my argument was they, they wanted some of this information on the Office of Digital Teaching and Learning website. And I said, you know, they can be a repository for that, but quite frankly, they shouldn't be in the position where they're, you know, defending any of it. This is really more of a faculty training piece. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we have a um, Office of Equity and Inclusion and they're looking at those types of issues. And we just had a um, posting, I don't know if you saw it, Brianne, it's the second time it came out about a, I think they call it a uh, faculty fellow for equity and inclusion. And part of what those fellows, faculty fellows are going to be doing is, is, is working with faculty on how to have those difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. What do you do if someone is, um, you know, promoting a certain political position, you know, how do you, you know, how do you have that conversation? You know, sometimes we assume that everyone's comfortable with doing that, but a lot of people aren't, you know, they're yeah. just really not at all. So, you know, it just, um, this, this pivot, you know, that's, that's the word of, 2020. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, that this pivot has really, um, raised some interesting and, and challenging, um, challenging ways, yeah. know, situations for, for us to, to really, to really navigate. But, you know, then you have to kind of look at the, the opportunity piece mm -hmm. of it too you know it's been a real disruptor and um a disruptor that's you know disruptor isn't always a negative you know no. how, how can we leverage this now mm -hmm. now we do have faculty who have some level of comfort yeah so, um that can be a much more exciting way to teach if you can get them to use maybe a wiki in there mm -hmm. as, a, as another type of evaluative tool or creative tool for for students to um you know to to share and demonstrate their expertise um you know i know brian you're, you're back there listening but brian was so good with um coming up with really awesome alternative ways to evaluate student competencies yeah so that's what i mean i mean it just it just it just presents itself with opportunities that we wouldn't normally be even thinking about yeah absolutely i, I think i'm hoping i'm hopeful marie as you said that students and faculty will want to adopt some of these practices you know after the pandemic is over i can even say that in our local community, like we have those school committee meetings and PTO meetings, and we've been doing them on Zoom. And we've had, I was telling Brianne, we've had like 400 parents show up 
And when these meetings are face to face, it's like, you know, 25 people can come because it's six o'clock and family. So, so there are some practices that, you know, hopefully maybe yeah. stay around, but I don't know. Brand, there are. Yeah. Ahead. I, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to bring up a positive Marie since, since Carrie asked you about your conception of belonging, I've been thinking about this. So you were talking about faculty belonging and even administrators, but for, on the faculty side, and another guest brought this up before, um, Paula Clark brought this up as well, just this idea of you can be at a place for a very long time, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you feel that you belong. Um, I think organizations are, are generally good and really intentional about onboarding and making you aware of sort of the customs of the place and the culture of a place, and then it's like, okay, you're good, and, and now you just continue on working. And I have found that through COVID, um, through like the Microsoft Teams site and other things, I've connected with faculty outside of our department who I never would have chatted with. Um, I mean, somebody posted there the other day, does anybody ever use problem-based learning? And I said that, yes, I do. And so I ended up having an hour long meeting with somebody in engineering who I never would meet. Uh, and it was this really great opportunity to collaborate. And with that, I think comes a sense of belonging because both of us are saying, here we are, very different disciplines. How are you gonna do this? How are you gonna do that? And we really got into it. Like, how are you gonna grade it? How many checkpoints are you gonna have? How many, how are you gonna decide in your groups? And it was such a great conversation. And we both left kind of thinking like, okay, all right, this might be all right. You know, we're gonna modify what we're doing um, and move forward. So I think that you're dead on correct, that we have to be really good about belonging with our students. And we also have to be attentive to faculty. And that's pre-pandemic and certainly during the pandemic now. And I think, you know, in our department, we did those no agenda agenda meetings last spring to just sort of touch base with people. That was one way to do that. And Carrie and I, we always say that the word intentional seems to be overused now, but we do have to be intentional about setting aside the time for connecting with one another, um, you know, and touching base and, and saying, how are things going? Because I think that that's how you can foster belonging also, mm -hmm. you know, in those less structured types of meetings so i think so too you know i, I think you're right and you know when there's that that cross fertilization of of disciplines i think is is just a real kind of upshot of all of this like you're talking about even those teaching enhancement workshops where you might go and you might sit next to someone and listen to the lecture or you might even kind of be in a circle and talking to them there's just something much more intimate about being in a breakout room with three other colleagues, you know, when it's just three colleagues and yourself, and now you're, you know, this close to them and you have to share, you have to share something, you know, you, you get to know them on a different level that I think, um, I, I wouldn't say is impossible, but probably not probable when you're, mm -hmm. you're in a larger, a larger group setting. Yeah. So yeah, you know, you have to kind of take, take the good and the bad. Um, I think we all miss, you know, the informal water cooler conversation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yes>. So much. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that sure. place, you know, even, yeah. even with our students, it's just, you know, it's still a little stilted, you know, when, when we have these, kind of fun little meetings with our students, you're, you're, you're a little bit more forced than you would be if you were just, if they were popping into your office and having a conversation. Yeah, yeah for you know, sure. You have to have your couple questions that you're like, okay, but everyone's sitting there staring, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Impromptu yeah. structure, right? Which yeah. is very weird. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
Well, Marie, will you share um, a takeaway or two that you've learned from this sort of crisis mode that we've been in? And, and you've touched on this, you know, maybe things that we can improve looking forward as a result of, of moving through COVID. Yeah. So what does it all mean? I mean, we, we all know. We hear this. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we um, planning's important, I mm -hmm. think. Um, I'm a planner, you're a planner, you know, we like to plan. It, it makes us feel comfortable, you know, it makes us feel comfortable, but we have to be able to be flexible. We have to be able to shift priorities. So I think pre-COVID, I was all excited about, you know, being able to vision for this, <laughs> this new school and that just fell flat. And then I had to deal with, you know, faculty who didn't know um, synchronous teaching from asynchronous teaching. So I think one takeaway is certainly that um, we have to be able to shift priorities based on the context of the time. Mm -hmm. So we can't be so locked into our plan that it becomes an irrelevant plan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always have to be kind of um, scanning and looking about and figuring out what, what is pressing because honestly, if you don't, if you don't hit that right, you're just, no one's going to be on board with you. You know, what's, what's really irritating is when I have to work with administrators who want to continue with business as normal, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, business is not normal. You know, I, you want to <laughs> say what you're talking about is stupid, you know, this, this doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know, let's let's talk about what's what's really important. You know, um, that doesn't mean you lose sight of it, but yeah. <laughs> you know, you just have to you 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 got to be flexible and you got to think of the the context of the time. Just like yeah. you know, this summer when we um, pulled together, when and tried to come up with this um, anti-racist advisory group, and because we listened, we paid attention, and it quite frankly, seemed like a watershed moment. And if we didn't react, we'd be missing huge opportunities. So that's what I mean by kind of paying attention to the, to yeah. the context. Absolutely. Well, gosh, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I'm taking <laughs> notes and saying, thinking we need yeah, to have Marie too. back <laughs> at some point, maybe if, if she can fit it into her busy schedule. Um, so the last question, Marie, usually I ask, you know, given the pandemic has your your concept or your understanding of belonging changed in any way. And I would love if you, if you would allow me to tweak it just ever so slightly, because I'm really curious, you made this comment earlier about this sort of focus on undergrad versus grad school. And I'm wondering, you know, because they're not visiting the Evergreen campus now, um, has that sort of, has that belonging changed or shifted in any way that you've noticed with respect to sort of undergrad versus grad? And I don't mean to put you on the spot. I was just really curious about that dynamic. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand the question, but um, I, I think the perception of belonging has changed. I think it has to change mm -hmm. because um, the pandemic has just kind of forced that we don't interact. We don't, we don't fit in the same way. We have to find a different way to fit in. Mm. So, you know, what is that different way of, of fitting in? It's, it's, um, you know, and we talked about the overuse of that word. It's being intentional in those, those relationships. Mm -hmm. It's being, um, 
intentional kind of in those contrived interactions and it's a it's it's kind of really thinking about how is it that we're going to connect with with one another in a way that we just couldn't you know or in a, or a way that we did six months ago mm -hmm. so um but I, i'm not sure i understand kind of the the undergrad grad dichotomy that you're Oh, I was just asking because you had s said when you said pre-pandemic that there seemed to be more of a focus on sort of the undergrad. And I just wondered if that if that sort of has shifted at all now that everybody's sort of virtual versus being like on the campus or not. That's all. I mean, but I, yeah, yeah. No, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, sometimes, and maybe this is unfortunate, is that, you know, the pandemic can even almost um, expose what were little cracks mm. into bigger fissures. So um, I, I mean, you know, and maybe, you know, e even though that we continue to try to do this, there's been an awful lot of communication from the university that goes out almost weekly. It's just, it can be very, very overwhelming. And um, it just has really kind of exposed some of this, what I call like evergreen or undergrad privilege that much more mm. because you know it's just it's just evident <laughs> that the graduate programs in school and faculty and students continue to get neglected mm. so it's just it's given me a unique perspective in terms of equity and inclusion you kind mm. of have mm. know what it's like to be forgotten you yeah. know and to just you can say it and people know it and mm. the provost will say it but the actions haven't changed. The mm. cultural shift hasn't happened. Yeah. So if anything, um, I think it's exposed the issue mm. more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. I wonder if other universities have that in reverse, right? Just so much focus on the graduate students and less focus on the undergrads. Yeah. Like I've talked to, um, you know, people at Hopkins and I don't want to speak for that university entirely, but she said, you know, there's so much focus on the research and the, and the graduate programs. Um, and she was sort of envious in a way of, of all the attention that we give to our undergrads mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Messina and the onboarding and, and extensive orientation and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that in the knowing Hopkins, that very much could be the way because that's how they started. They started as a grad program, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's where their money comes from. That's where the reputation comes from. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think it varies. My experience has been it just it varies by school. I mean, if you're yeah. in a if you're in a medical or health school, that's definitely true. If you're on the Homewood campus in arts and sciences, that might not be as true. But yeah, I think that's a good point. There's definitely variation. So, well, Marie, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you and hear about your experiences. And I know our listeners will be grateful for your conversation and for your wisdom. So thank you so much for coming on today and. Um, yeah, anything else, Brianne, before we sign off? No, it's just, I've been looking forward to having you all together in a room, you know, Zoom room, so to speak. And it's been great. I really enjoyed hearing Marie. It's fun to hear just the other side and, and her perspective outside of a conversation as a leader, you know, and, and a chair. So absolutely. Thanks I for think, coming. I think Morgan has enjoyed the interview as oh well. <laughs> He's sitting right there on your shoulder. So, all right, well, we'll be right back. Thanks, everybody.
and welcome back to Tell Me This. This is season two, episode eight, where Carrie and I had the privilege of talking with Dr. Marie Karens from Loyola University, Maryland. I enjoyed having both of you on the same call. My worlds really did collide. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always fun when that happens. Um, there were several things that resonated with me from Marie's interview. First, as I mentioned, I was thinking about faculty belonging and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And that reminded me of when Dr. Paula Clark, <laughs> like if you her whole title, I know. Uh, mentioned, the, yeah, mentioned the importance of fostering teacher belonging over time um, in, her, in her interview. And Marie discussed belonging similarly for students, faculty, and she also included staff and administrators. And I really mm -hmm. liked that sort of comprehensive approach. So that got me thinking about the relationship of belonging across those groups. And I came across an article from 2018 written by Cook, Sather, and colleagues. Um, the title is long. It's called The Pedagogical Benefits of Enacting Positive Psychology Practices Through a Student-Faculty Partnership Approach to Academic Development. Ooh, that's a very long title. I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like two Surpri lines on my page. I'm surprised an editor let that go through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we're going to we're going to overlook the long title because yeah. uh, <clears throat> here's the gist. So Bryn Mawr and Haverford colleges have a teaching and learning institute that supports a unique program that they call SALT students as teachers or I'm sorry, as learners and teachers. Mm. And what happens is students are paired with a first year faculty member for a semester or for a full year. The students and faculty are not in the same academic discipline, so that's an important factor. Uh -huh. And both are considered experts in their own right. So students are bringing their expertise as students and as members of the school community, mm -hmm. and faculty, of course, are bringing their subject matter expertise. Students are trained in positive psychology and strengths-based growth and affirmation, and they observe faculty teaching each week throughout the semester or the year. So they go to a class once uh -huh. a week, Oh my gosh, I love take, this already. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Me too. They take detailed notes and then they talk with faculty members for 30 to 60 minutes per week. So the students are in the class, they take uh -huh. really intensive notes, and then there's a debrief session every week of the semester. Uh -huh. Students' feedback affirms what's working well and encourages growth and development to foster revision of the pedagogy that could be improved. Mm. So I was, of course, captivated by this. I'm approach. already thinking about who could be my student and when can I start I know. this. <laughs> I agree. I'm like, how can I implement this program? Um, I mean, you and I have talked so much about soliciting student feedback in our discussions about action and reflection cycles. Yeah. And faculty members who participated in SALT appreciated the students' feedback uh, for so many reasons. One reason is because it was non-evaluative, mm -hmm. as a peer evaluation might be, or an evaluation from your superior would be. Mm -hmm. um, students used an observation slash comments format. So they describe what the faculty member did, and then they share candid and honest comments about how it went from their perspectives. Hmm. So I'm going to give you an example. I'm just going to quote from the article about um, oh, this, this article reminded, or this part reminded me of something that Marie said in her interview. So you'll see the connection. Mm -hmm. So it just says observation. This is the student speaking about the faculty member. You open the topic of social influence and alcohol, uh, alcohol use by having students reflect on their own adolescence. You say, I want you to think back to when you were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, however old you were before you had personally started drinking. What did or what do you think about the typical person your age who used alcohol? You gave the students time to write down some adjectives that they thought of others, and then you had the students share. 
you point out that adjectives range from personality traits like dumb or popular to physical appearance, good looking and hot. You use this discussion to introduce the concepts of prototypes. So just kind of an objective observation of what the faculty member did and then the comments. Comments were, this is helpful and interesting. You made them establish very important connections between their realities and the material. Students get to see the concepts themselves or in themselves. You're using their experiences to provide examples of the context. This is helping their understanding. Mm. So it's kind of this narrative of what's working, what's not. And there are several examples in the article of really, really powerful observations. And some also had suggestions about, um, I think it was titled for next time, mm. you know, like things that you could consider doing a little bit differently the next time. Mm. Um, the article itself does not talk about belonging, but I couldn't help but think that this program really facilitates belonging for both the students and the new faculty. Students are valued for their role as students. That is their expertise. And I think that we overlook that sometimes. I think we overlook that whole piece that yep. Subject matter aside, they are bringing expertise to to our classrooms just by virtue of their role right. as students Learners. Um, in this yeah. community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and new faculty were provided with consistent discussion and feedback rooted in positive psychology. And one faculty member said he felt more comfortable taking risks with mm -hmm. the student present because there's that accountability and they're kind of there was a partnership there. Mm -hmm. Marie mentioned risk taking as part of her perception of belonging. Mm -hmm. um, she said that, you know, that was one way that, you know, you belong when you can feel comfortable taking risks. Uh, really, I want to share this article very broadly, and I would love to investigate <laughs> other similar programs. I just think it sounds incredible. And I love the fact that it's formal mm -hmm. and that so many faculty members do it. It's just part of the culture there. And I I think that that's really something that I would love to strive for at some point. Yeah, I'm curious about the training that the students receive and how they match up the student with the faculty member. Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I really mean, they cool. did mention a little bit. They mentioned a little bit about the training and how they, they are trained in, these, in this positive psychology strengths-based approach. <clears throat> and then they're very quick to say, but almost all of the training is on the job. I think it's, it's, it's training as you're observing. What does it mean to observe a faculty member? Yeah. Uh, and they talked about organic chemistry in, in particular. And the faculty member at first was like, well, how could a, pos a student possibly observe this course if they have no sense of the chemistry? Yeah. And that same faculty member was like, actually, that's what made it great. That's because the point. Because it wasn't about, yes, yeah. it wasn't about the minutia of the content. And I like that because it just brings that sort of universality of good teaching and best practices. Well, yeah, it goes to back forefront. to, I mean, if you, we could even, if we wanted to make more connections, right, we, it goes back to... Um, an earlier podcast um, where we were talking about sort of um, the substance is secondary, right? And this this yep. whole notion of like the professionalization of teaching, the act and art of teaching, that it's not subject matter expertise is important, but that's sort of baseline. We assume that a, a faculty member walks into a classroom knowing their stuff, so they don't really need to be evaluated on that. What right. they need to be evaluated on and receive feedback is on how they're engaging with these human beings. Um, and I feel like that's what this program, that's what I love about this program is it's like, it's right, it's right at the core of what you and I believe so strongly in is that, you know, and we've, we're feeling it right now because this is like, you know, the first few weeks of school for most people that even though we have all these experiences, we're literally walking into these virtual classrooms with a whole new set of human beings that we have to engage with. So Wow, I, yeah. I, I need to get this link to this article and read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was so happy to find it. So, yeah. you know, kind of 
moving forward and, and wrapping up, I would say even in the absence of a program like SALT in your context, even though I think I want to develop one, yeah. um, <laughs> my takeaways from this episode and from our talk with Marie are to be conscious about belonging for students and also faculty, staff, and administrators. I think we're all flying blind through COVID right now, and so it's important to feel connected and valued across those roles and over time. Secondly, just as the faculty at Bryn Mawr and Haverford learned from their students in this really systematic way, I hope that you will consider having honest conversations with your students or your children or your colleagues about how you're doing. Um, seek some feedback. I would say take a risk and make a change to improve, you know, from there. Yeah. Wow. So there's like so much in that little blurb that you just shared that like <laughs> we could unpack for days probably. I mean, I, I think we should think more about how we enact this. Um, I mean, I was thinking mostly about sort of how do you do it with online courses? Like how, what would be sort of the way that you could do it? Um, so lots to think about. And I love, you're right. I love this, the takeaway that this isn't just for a classroom setting, right? Because we actually know that most of the learning we do is not in the classroom, right? Whether it's, it's, it's mostly informal. And so adopting a practice of checking in with those with whom you're learning or teaching or being with, um, yeah, it just has huge potential. And it does, it, oh, it so does promote an environment of belonging. Like if you're checking in with someone, you're really, you care about what, what they're feeling and seeing in this space. And yeah, I got to go read this article. So maybe we should end this podcast soon, Brianne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So let's wrap it up really fast. So <laughs> Carrie's got to go read. So thank you for listening to Tell Me This, a podcast about belonging, building communities, and cultivating connections and authentic spaces for listening, learning, and leaning into our experiences. I'm your host here with Bri uh, I'm your host, Brianne Ruth, <laughs> here with Carrie Borkowski, who is now Google scholaring to find the article. I am, absolutely. All right, thanks, Brianne. Take it easy. <laughs> Slow down gravity, oh, so sincere Under the glaciers of your last year Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.